Hey, I'm Laurie. Hi, I'm Phil. Welcome back to Flicks and Film. Today, we're hitting you with a whole load of Netflix stuff. Phil's back in the world of, well, Apple TV, if we have time for it. Um, or in fact, Phil, where are you in the world? You're doing Audible, aren't you? Books this time. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going to try out an audio book. Um, I'm quite excited to talk about it. I don't want to spoil the surprise, though, Laurie, because I want to have your authentic Laurie-ness come out during the podcast. You're not so telling us I'm not going to say, oh. I, haven't, I haven't prepped Laurie at all about what I'm going to talk about, um, but I've been listening to a book, and I'm going to talk about that. I'm also going to be talking about some films I've seen, Rocket Man and Bohemian Rhapsody, and my musings on the musical biopic, particularly British musical biopics as well. Do you know what though? Two things. You're a bit late to the party, Phil. And number two, it makes me want to review that film Eddie the Eagle that had Hugh Jackman and Taron Egerton as well. For some reason, I grouped that in the same category as Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man. It's like Eddie the Eagle is a, a lame musician or something. <laughs> I don't know what it is about. Well, it. it's a I certain think, genre. Uh, that would maybe come into it as well uh, because. Okay. Same lead, you know, Elton John and uh, Eddie the Eagle. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, there's some similarities there. So maybe we'll talk a bit about that. Why don't I do um, Netflix hit TV show? I think still quite high in the charts, Shadow and Bone. That's a relatively uh, recent addition to the catalogue. And I've got a couple of shows that I've already decided not to continue with that I can talk to you about and why I decided not to continue with them. Gave them a fair shot. Um, one one entire episode in some cases a few entire episodes but I thought not for me is that a good thing to do on a show like this? Well they do say that if uh, more and more they're saying experts are saying with reading that if you're slogging your way through a book it's better just to give up and let go of it and let it sail ditch off it. into the distance yeah ditch it let and it actually go. be reading the main thing is to be reading regularly not what you're reading that's what they're saying there's too much to unpack there in the introduction to the podcast <laughs> I feel um, okay well we'll get going fairly fairly briefly I feel like I need to say how are you, how are you Phil we never ask each other these kind of questions these kind of podcast questions you never questions. tell me yeah uh, I'm doing okay <laughs> it's very busy in life at the moment I don't know about you um, but life is creeping back to normal but with it are also lots of normal stresses and strains that's what I find I don't know about maybe you maybe this is why we don't ask this kind of question <laughs> it gets a bit too deep <laughs> I'm doing, should I do the standard well, is that deep or is that just a... I think it's honest <laughs> Laurie. I think it's honest yes alright yeah What's uh, the I'll do the, I'll do the standard British one yeah good how are you mate how are you yeah, how you doing there you mate? Go. yeah there's a good YouTube skit on that by a guy called Joel Haver or Haver who suddenly appeared on the internet I'm not entirely sure what I think of his output but he did say uh, meeting up with that one guy who says, yeah, I'm doing good, doing pretty good, when you ask him how he's doing. And uh, it's worth a watch on YouTube. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, I am also fine. My eye's still twitching. Let's hope it doesn't affect the podcast. Let's go. Twitch, twitch, twitch. What? Twitch, 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 like your eye is twitching. All oh, right, yeah. Let's start with Shadow and Bone, because uh, Judith and I watched the whole thing fairly quickly, actually. Um, after a recommendation, Phil, here's a little trip down memory lane from David Samuel. Oh, really? Ah, hello, David Samuel. Yeah. Oh, thanks again also for the picture, David. A uh, picture always comes with a message from uh, David. But in this particular case, uh, it also came with a show recommendation. He said, uh, hi, guys, have you seen or know anything about Shadow and Bone on Netflix? Uh, so far, although I was initially intimidated by the faux Cockney London of the Netflix preview, the parts in that place are a bit limited. And actually, we are really enjoying it. It's a little bit like Avatar brackets 
the last airbender, not space fern gully. Um, and he also said he enjoyed our uh, Dan Rad special on Escape from Pretoria last week. First off, thank you very much, David. And thanks for the picture, David. Get your messages and recommendations and all that sent in. Flixandfilm at gmail.com or at Film on Twitter. We do receive them all. Sorry to those who've already suggested things that we haven't managed to catch up with yet. We have indeed caught up with this. Phil, does that tease? You know, it's a bit like Avatar The Last Airbender, even though there might be some Cockney fake London thrown in. Is that appealing to you? Yeah, Avatar The Last Airbender is top quality entertainment. I think I put it on Mm. you onto it back in the day because I said it was good stuff and you should watch it. And uh, that show is brilliant. Uh, Anything like that show is a good thing. And there certainly seems to be a bit of a trend of of these type of uh, gang, gang on an adventure type stories with special powers and a world to explore. That seems to be kind of a trend. Some people saying Raya The Last Dragon was a bit like that. Uh, as well so oh, really the disney plus thing we still haven't seen that actually nicholas yeah, we don't have the that. money man we need to we need some money to, be able to afford <laughs> that expensive film ticket but yeah no avatar the last airbender i mean i'm interested in anything that's a bit like that because that is a top quality show in fact so much so that i have watched a little bit of shadow and bone and look i mean this is a really interesting series i think if you're like me, you get a bit nervous when you see a sort of curlicued script uh, that looks like it might have a vaguely fantasy backing to it appearing on Netflix because there's certainly no shortage of extremely average an excruciating kind of fantasy series on there. I mean, really dreadful, hard to watch. They're often a sort of the fantasy setting is kind of a smokescreen for what's essentially a teen drama on the whole. I don't they're know whether you've all, found all that. They're all YA novels. That's what they're based on. Yeah. The young Well, adults. and that is what this is i i'm not going to say i'm sorry to say that because i believe this is a very very um loved book series by lee bardugo bardugo i'm not going to pretend to pronounce that correctly um and that series doesn't just uh, stop with this particular one shadow and bone a trilogy there's also a further series set in the same world it's been a big hit uh, all over the world but make no bones about it it is a young adult adventure uh so i'll try and give you a little bit of context and then we'll and then we'll do the trailer um so it's a, a war-torn world that I cannot explain the politics for even after having seen the entire series Um, but suffice to say there's a country that has been split in half by a very mysterious shadowy almost impassable wall called the fold and then a bit mixed about how it turned up there they think it might have been to do with dark magic in the past and uh, a lot of the drama of the the, uh, show is about people who have to cross over the fold and survive these sort of vampire bat like giant terrifying creatures that swoop down and and try and grab them and stuff so if you can make it across the fold and back you're you, you know you're earning your stars and that's how two halves of this country coordinate their armies and their efforts and all that sort of stuff and wrapped up in the middle of that are two you know very minor characters it seems in this escalating conflict you've got Alina Starkov and Malian Oretsev you can hear the sort of vaguely Russian or Eastern European uh, influence in the names there they're just ordinary kids they came from an orphanage they've stuck together through thick and thin both of them sort of don't look like everyone else to use the kind of books way of putting this they stand out uh, for kind of racial backgrounds and status backgrounds mostly and have to deal with uh, unfair prejudice getting picked on the kind of awful stuff all their life but they've got like a friendship of iron that has stood the test of time they support each other they've joined the cartographer unit of this army and they want to play their part in the battle that's quite it sounds all right, doesn't it, Phil? Are you interested in that so far? Uh, as I say, I've seen the first episode, so you're, you're acting <laughs> like on, whether I'm a neutral person in this. I've seen the first episode. Like, um, you didn't mention you need the, to the, the to Grisha, me. the Grisha, the sort of... Yeah, well, we'll come, uh, let's come to the Grisha. Should we let the trailer do it? Yes. 
You're safe now. Tell me what happened in the phone. What saved you? You won't believe me, but this was a sun summoner. Is this true? Can you summon light? She's real. Our enemies are threatened by your mere existence. The whole world will be after you. The prize is one million Kruger. Bring me Alina Starkov. Am I a prisoner? All of Ravka is. Until you and I enter the fold. And destroy it from within. No pressure. Everyone is looking at me like I'm the answer. Bring the light. Again. The only thing more powerful than you or me. The two of us, together. Good girl. Now the work begins. Goes wrong. I'll find my way back to you. How many bullets do you have? Not enough. She'll realize she has only one equal. There are no others like us, and there never will be. You have no idea how much larger a role you have to play. That sounded like a bit of classic brass on a keyboard, that last stab there. That was way too much compression on that. Did you hear the um, Star Wars effect? The little... Yeah. The Death Star I'm glad you heard that as well. It's, <laughs> no, isn't it the lightsaber cut through a door or something like that? Or oh, a droid? I don't know. One of those ones, <laughs> yeah. But look, you were right, Phil. You were starting to sort of tease this before we jumped in. I hope what you heard there in the trailer, uh, besides kind of interesting accents, mostly British, you, you will have picked up as well. And there's all this thought about the Sun Summoner and power, and power's a big part of it. And that is because of this mysterious subsection of the army called the Grisha. Phil, rather than steal your thunder, <laughs> tell us about the Grisha. Uh, well, I was just going to say the Grisha are another p- factor in all of this because they're sort of outcast, sort of... Uh, special beings that are sort of rooted out when they're young uh, children they they're tested to see if they have the abilities to i think it's a bit like this is where the avatar wizard harry yeah and also the avatar thing where it's like can they control one of the elements uh, are you an airbender or whatever yeah Yeah. exactly or fire or can you change people's moods and things like that it's kind of the classic abilities superhero x-men type thing yeah, I think, I mean, I, I hope that doesn't immediately put you off because this is sort of the Hunger Games. This is the Maze Runner. This is Divergent. This is Twilight, as many people have said. This is Harry Potter. This is The Last Airbender, but just slightly rearranged. I think if there's one thing I was going to pick out as being different here, it's the thief subplot. So there's a kind of criminal underworld side of things here and a little band of thieves or con artists who kind of get wrapped up in it. But I don't think it's even doing the show a disservice to say you have kind of seen it before. Interestingly, I think the the crows, I believe they're called, uh, I was reading right. are a separate, they're kind of a spin-off bit to the whole world. And the person, I believe the showrunner just 
tweeted or said i really love this show can i make it or something and then ended up being the showrunner for this big series and they stipulated that they should use these crow bits and interweave it into the main narrative and i think that's been a real success for fans and newcomers is this sort of subplot of these these slightly conny con artisty gang trying to do things alongside Alina's superpowers. Yeah, as I said, you know, the original trilogy, The Shadow and Bone, is popular, but not as popular as the Crow trilogy that follows it. And that, I think, is what has been brought in because that was better received even by the series' own fans, this kind of uh, second subplot. And they've they've merged it all together. I'm going to say, overall, it basically gets a thumbs down for me. And and, uh, you'll all hate me for this. Um, and Judith, Judith was not happy with me, my wife, when I sort of brought it up because the minute I realised that there's a kind of a, oh, there's something special about this girl. There's something, wow, she she's she's so special. She might be the most important girl that's ever lived, but she's just she's just living her own life. There's she's, nothing special she's quite about quirky. her. She, yeah. She's actually a misfit. Yeah, she's a she's bit of a, bit a misfit. Clumsy and things, um, yeah. exactly, she's really clumsy and a bit awkward. She doesn't know how to tell the boy she likes that she likes him. Um, the minute that <laughs> there was a hint of that, that was it. That was the that was it was over. The Bella me. Swan effect. Yeah, yeah. Episode one. That was it. And uh, and then I in my head I could already see the costume scene where she suddenly wears fancy dresses. Um, and, you know, I, I can't, I actually, even talking about it, I can't cope. The My Fair Lady effect. Is that the sort of thing you're hitting Yeah, something at? like that, except it's not that because it's dishonest. My Fair Lady is upfront about what's happening, isn't it? This is a kind of a scene where you know the actress has to live out the fantasy of millions of people around the world that you're suddenly taken into luxury where people dress you and give you makeup and tell you how amazing you are and how special you are. And the actress, the actress job is to look kind of uncomfortable and annoyed about this. Do you know what I mean? It's mm. like, oh, what? You're, you're giving me this dress. Oh, what? You're telling me that I'm beautiful. Oh, what? Yeah, I have to sit down for a 12 course dinner. Ooh, that's a bit weird for little me, isn't it? Please come up with something new because <laughs> that was it. Why and did that... you watch all of it, man? Why did you watch all of it? Did you not bail then? No, I didn't bail. We watched the entire thing. And I think it is saved a lot by the subplot. It's actually slightly annoying the way it hops between plot lines because they're quite detached from each other up until a, a certain point. And there's actually one plot line that never connects with the entire rest of the story and is a waste of time and filled with exactly the same level of cliched writing that I just described, but from another angle. I, w- I won't spoil that for you. You can enjoy that yourself. Um, I could, I, it did it just enough to keep me wondering. And there's Ben Barnes, which you already mentioned. And I want Ben Barnes to do well. Was it the History Boys or something that he was in? He was uh, Prince Caspian. You know, but he, before then, he started, he was sort of like one of these young actors, British actors, who suddenly people were interested in. Then he became Prince Caspian, absolutely. Then he was in a really a dreadful fantasy film called Seventh Son or something like that. Um, and he's just never really landed um, critically or with audiences in a way that would make him... Well, I think it's probably fair to say the big star that he deserves to be because he he's one of the standout performers. He's good with a terrible role, a really awful role. He's the general, isn't he? His element is darkness, Phil. <laughs> yeah. And he wears a super long cape. <laughs> yeah, he does. Uh, um, can I can I tell you my thoughts? Yeah, go on then. Because I've seen the first episode and I've sort of sort of watched the second. I've been struggling with it, and in some ways, I'm quite reassured to hear your take on it because it has been a bit of a muddle, and I find it really hard to get my head round who's who yeah, and what's exactly. going on in the world. It's not, it doesn't have that assured hand to say, this is the world and this is a scene that's going to tell you this important information about how this world is structured. There's not very good world building, so it's very confusing. The other thing that really bothered me was, and I've been trying, I spent most of the second episode trying to pinpoint why I was finding it 
difficult to kind of be invested. I think it's weirdly grungy for a, a show, um, for a, a fantasy show, because if you, I, I, I know that Star Wars just to kind of tie these weird thoughts together. Star Wars was often praised because it made the future space sci-fi lived lived in, in. dirty space, dirty space it, yeah. exactly. And people have like run with it the same way they're like, oh, Empire Strikes Back is the darker, grittier sequel, and so therefore it's good. So they make darker, darker and grittier sequels to make it more mature, more grown up. They completely miss the point. I feel like this show has like missed the point where. Instead of making it lived in, they've just made it dirty. And it's like, I don't really want to be in a dirty world all the time. <laughs> I want to I want to be in a real world, which has like, isn't completely perfect and not everything's completely perfectly sculptured. But I still want it to be a nice place to escape to, you know? Well, I, I know I know what you're saying. And I think part of that is because it's all manufactured. It's all completely, none of it's actually believable. Not one of the contexts is sort of convincing. So the dirt is set dressing. And so the artifice of that is laid bare, right? You know, they have tried to make people look dirty and grungy rather than that they're inhabiting a place where that would be the thing um, and I think one of the one of the things Judith pointed out and I completely agree with and actually it struck us quite early on that didn't help with this is I think the cast is too young and their weight everyone is too young so even though I think one of the breakout stars is this guy Freddie Carter who plays Kaz Brecker he's the sort of con artist guy walking with a cane like his hardened crew of criminals look like they've just stepped out of their sixth form play. Like it's, <laughs> everyone is too young. Yeah. So when they're saying all this stuff about life and honour and duty, I just don't buy it because what do they know about any of this stuff? And that makes me sound, it's funny, I want to contrast it. I, I want to re-review Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, that continues to be one of my favourite Marvel films because everyone in it is old. <laughs> like Paul Rudd is not a young man. And uh, Evangeline Lilly and Michael Douglas, I mean, they're not they're not young people, are they? But there they are starring in a superhero film. Laurie, Laurie, can I just ask, how old are you? Look, Phil, <laughs> I, know where you, I know where you're going with this. I wasn't born yesterday, which no, I think you is your question. question. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly, that's my entire point. I'm 34, man, and I'm not ashamed. And I, I don't consider myself to be young, but I don't I don't want even to see people my age, really. I'd rather see, in situations like this, I'd rather see people who are believably the age that they would be to be this kind. Because even, like, if, even if you say, well, back in the day or whatever. Mortality rates and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, they still wouldn't have looked like this. And they still wouldn't have dressed like this and talked like this. Do you know what I mean? It's um, It all feels like pantomime and not really in a pleasant way, exactly as you point out. So look, I don't think we've done the best job of kind of um, explaining <laughs> what this show is about, but it is actually hard to wrap your head around. There's some pretty decent effects. It's a lush production. I think the music's quite poor, I decided as well. Um, and overall, I it's just a messy, messy, messy thing. However, there's something about this genre that is good popcorn viewing. And I don't think anyone can can really disagree with that. I know some really sort of senior film critics rate the Twilight franchise for exactly this reason. It sets out to do a job and it does it very well. This I don't think does it very well, but it's still watchable. Right, if you have been watching Shadow of Bone and you completely disagree with Laurie and me, you can uh, jump in and defend the show. Uh, you can give Laurie a minus one and uh, tell us the reasons why. It's in fact fantastic. All you have to do is email the show flixandfilm at gmail.com or you can tweet us at flixandfilm yes oh, yeah that's that. it well done Phil take and a film. deep breath uh, yeah and David I hope you're not disappointed <laughs> uh, I'd like to hear your further thoughts 
So, Laurie, I, I have been enjoying audiobooks on my way to work. Mm. And more, most recently, I have been listening to, have not finished, just to put that little caveat right at the very beginning. But I've been listening to Matthew McConaughey's Greenlight. Oh, have you? Yeah. I um, I saw him doing his book tour um, and his whole thing is um he seems to be it's uh, laid bare it's my life story and uh this is how i got where i am and a little nuggets of his sort of life philosophy thrown in is that about right kind of new agey almost yeah yeah it's uh it's a funny funny beast um i think i might start off by sharing with you his sort of in own introduction to his book um and it is read by matthew mcconaughey so that's a whole that's other fantastic. spin on this audiobook that, who can uh, say no to that well, exactly, exactly. So here we go. This is Matthew McConaughey in his own words. Me more satisfaction at the time and still. I found a reliable theme. So I packed up those journals and took a one-way ticket to solitary confinement in the desert where I began writing what you hear now. An album, a record, a story of my life so far. Things I witnessed, dreamed, chased, gave, and received. Truth bombs that interrupted my space and time in ways I could not ignore. Contracts I have made with myself, many of which I live up to, most of which I still pursue. These are my sights and scenes, felt and figured out, cools and shamefuls. Graces, truths, and beauties of brutality. Initiations, invitations, calibrations, and graduations. Getting away with, getting caught, and getting wet, trying to dance between the raindrops. <laughs> it makes, I was going to do, and then Captain uh, Geppetto actually left a, a container at the bottom of the sea, which uh, uh, I've just discovered. If you hit the sun at the right time, you can dig that up. I, this is terrible. You know what I'm doing. I'm doing him i'm doing his character <laughs> from fool's gold but he begins to sound a bit more like a sort of preacher at the end there do you know what i mean it is it is surreal listening to this book because um i've gone on a journey i'll tell you that uh it's just like mcconaughey Lights. yeah just because it is so strange having him as himself you're so familiar with him as an actor and his performance and his sort of repertoire of his skills and the types of characters he plays. He talks about playing rom-com characters and how he talks about them as um, as Saturdays. And so he does a he did a month long month long worth of Saturdays that he lived while recording and filming these these rom-com roles because they're just so easy and just roll off the back of him. Um, and he talks about uh, his first gig getting it, uh, into Richard Linklater's film, the famous one, Days and Confused, all right, all right, all right. And he talks about the, the method of which he approached that character. And the whole time you're sort of like, this is kind of interesting. And then also you're like, does this guy, is, does he make sense to himself? Like, <laughs> right. I don't understand. What's he saying? Um, yeah, at the same time, it's packaged in such a lovely sort of southern drawl that you you sort of get entranced by it all. I start off thinking, this is a load of wally. <laughs> and, yet, and yet, the more I've listened to it, the more I've enjoyed it. And the more I found myself thinking, um, it's almost like, um, it, I genuinely think it's sort of, uh, in its own unique way, quite a special book because it is surprisingly varied in what he talks about and his start his sort of humble beginnings in texas and the various tra travels he went on he spends a long time dealing with his life before becoming the matthew mcconaughey movie star um and 
it is sort of like a little nugget of American life down in the south in Texas. It's almost like a Huckleberry Finn type <laughs> wow. sort of episodic adventure where little mini windows. There's a there's a one of my favorite stories sections that he's done is the year he spent in Australia. He did a, a sort of student exchange and he lived with a particular family uh, where a short sort of father started telling him how how he should be. And he tells him off because he, he expressed too confidently his opinion about burgers or something. Oh, wow. Like that. It's got a bizarre and Dickensian and weird <laughs> and yet it's Matthew McConaughey telling you it the whole time um, and interspersed amongst the whole of these sort of kind of weirdly interesting nuggets of Americana you have him he, he talks about bumper stickers and his poetry and his it's poetry. all over the place it's, oh, man. Yeah, it's all over the place in terms of what he's covering it is like a weird sort of trance and I really really would recommend listening to the audiobook of how this, long is this, it actually this... I'm looking here it's six hours and 42 minutes of McConaughey talking to you there but it's uh, the. I was going to play another clip. I might see if I can do it on the um, the the phone. But it's not all sort of him being that sort of poetically, almost like rapping. It's not like rapping. It's 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 much more just him. And you find himself. He finds himself sort of responding to what he's written um, in the past. So let me see if I can uh, play a little clip for you. To life. <laughs> I've been in this life for 50 years, trying to work out its riddle for 42 and keeping diaries of clues to that riddle for the last 35. Notes about successes and failures, joys and sorrows, things that made me marvel and things that made me laugh out loud. 35 years of realizing, remembering, recognizing, gathering and jotting down what has moved me or turned me on along the way. How to be fair, how to have less stress, how to have fun, how to hurt people less, how to get hurt less, how to be a good man, how to get what I want, how to have meaning in life, how to be more me. Wow, I want to be more me, but him. Look, I, I, but it's so. Did you did you hear that at the very beginning? He's like to life. I, did, I really. Did. He like laughs at himself, and he he sort of sniggers at what he said. Um, That's, he's is, so charming. Sort of weirdly, yeah, I, uh, it's charming. Yeah. It is. That's the word. It's charming. And um, interspersed, the one thing which made me want to talk about this on a podcast is that throughout the whole book, the book's called Green Lights, and uh, he explains what it is. It's the idea that you kind of hitting a string of green lights is like life saying go, go, go. And, and his, his sto- series of stories and events in his life, he sees them as um, these things, these opportunities that have led to the next one and kind of, it, it, which kind of makes sense. But throughout the whole book, he just has a, a periodically will just say, uh, he kind of finishes his story and just go, green light. <laughs> and just keeps on saying, green light. Red light. Green light. Green light. Matthew McConaughey I keep on hearing, hearing that little snippet in my head he says it so often in the that book that almost sounds like a Darren Brown-esque um, trap that he's trying to put you into <laughs> yeah. he's like psychologically implanting some thoughts yeah. but I'm finding myself just in life going green light green light <laughs> it's, which is sort of I don't know I've, I've enjoyed listening to it it's been a nice comfort on my way to work entertaining ridiculous all sorts you're going to do one of his long lists here I would have hated to be his editor it looks like he sounded like he was going like through semicolons at a rate there um, but I, I I want to tell you about the screen which I think is part of it that I'm looking at on Audible to sort of support what Phil's saying because the photo of Matthew McConaughey on his album cover is really uh, bringing out some uh, Justin Timberlake Man of the Woods energy. He's wearing like a denim shirt and staring into the middle distance with his hands kind of up against his lips. Like, What, what amazing thoughts could he be thinking about? He's probably thinking green light <laughs> based on what you just said. I also think people who bought this also bought, Phil, uh, Barack Obama's uh, audiobook, The Best Motivational Speeches of All Times. 
interesting why times rather than time uh, a life on our planet by david attenborough and revelation by russell brand so i think there's a kind of theme uh, emerging here that's i take it those are all next up on your list but potentially i have actually uh looked into getting barack obama's book and maybe i'll listen to that next but maybe i'll just does he read obama read his as well anyway let's that's a different book well i'm (laughs) i'm intrigued and i'm sold as well i think the fact that he can chuckle away um at what he's done that's just nice isn't it a bit of self-awareness and i genuinely am i'm interested in what he has to say about rom-coms because if you look at behind the scenes featurettes for rom-coms it's never what anyone actually thinks about the material or what the experience is actually like it's always about the chemistry and how talented the writers are do you know what i mean whereas i bet you he had quite a lot of interesting things to say because he's been in some good rom-coms and some terrible ones um, I'm intrigued. Well done, Phil. I'm, I'm sold. And also done some big, big, uh, big roles. He did a Time to Kill, which was the thing that kind of launched him. Lincoln uh, Lawyer, good in that Interstellar. Well, he's done the reconnaissance. Is a thing. It got coined. But that's exactly why it'd be so interesting to hear him talk about it um, and, and span his career. I, th- I can tell that I might want to reach for the thirty second skip button a few times. Um, I'm not so into the motivational speeches. Maybe I ought to be. But I don't know. I don't even know if it counts as that because you sort of are listening and entranced, but also laughing at it, but also not. And kind of some, you know, a, a broken clock is right twice well a day done. or whatever. You know what yeah, I mean? Absolutely. Like, yeah. It doesn't sound like a broken clock yeah. to me. I think it sounds more like. No, it's more like a slightly delayed clock. Okay, yeah, very good. <laughs> it's, it's slightly fast you know I mean? and occasionally slow, um, but never <laughs> on time. All right, got it. Well done. I, I genuinely think it is quite charming. Um, and having him read his own words, I think, gives you a, a more authentic take on the whole book than you probably could get any other way. Yeah, so yeah. maybe this is definitely an audio book rather than just a book. Yeah, well said. Well, according to 10,349 ratings on Audible, it's 4.8 out of 5 stars. So you look like um, your opinion is not the minority. Well done. Well, thanks. Thanks for just completely <laughs> undercutting <laughs> my all we uh, to say. really out there recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> 10,000 people said it was good. Phil, just before we um, hear from you on your amazing double bill, Bohemian Rhapsody and uh, Rocket Man, can I confess to you something I'm slightly uh, nervous about and an unpopular opinion, as Reddit might call it? Yes, express away, my friend. It's a film, you know, it's an entertainment slash film based one, so it's, it's on topic here. Um, I really don't like funeral slash eulogy scenes in films. And I'm af- I'm worried what it might mean about me psychologically. <laughs> Maybe someone will say it makes me very callous and psychopathic or something. <laughs> but I am not interested in people crying their eyes out and saying how wonderful a fictional character was. I just want the next scene. Is that bad? Tell me, do I sound like a bad person? Are you? Let me just clarify. Are you talking about just people being sad about a character who's died? Like, well, it's, no, I'm talking about the Gandalf has fallen down a pit. Well, the Gandalf one is actually fine because they don't say anything. They just have slow motion <laughs> tears. It's explicitly expressing your feelings that you're objecting to. No, no, no. To. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. It's the, it's the it's the overwrought nature of it. There was slow-mo there, but it's okay because it's so shocking that if you just moved on, you might miss how significant Gandalf dying is to the people. But then they get going. The whole point of that scene is, come on, come on, time to keep moving. On your feet, Sam. Yeah, it's the opposite, isn't it? It's We know you're grieving, but time to move on. I'm fine with that. Let's be efficient in films. But it, I'm talking about, I think it was, um, I, I thought about this with that show, Jiri Hachi, um, the Japanese cop show um, mixed with the London underworld that I talked about a while ago. And there's a, there's a scene there with a eulogy and like a, a kind of, there's a character who dies and then there's these moments, well, I, I knew him this long and... He wasn't always there for me, but and I, I, I don't care. It's not real. It's not a real character. <laughs> Stop it, will you? 
Just stop it, will you? I want the next scene. I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely worried. It makes me a bad person. I feel that way. The, the only one I can really cope with is um, in Four Weddings and a Funeral, which I think you know is famously excellently written, very well judged. And although it is extremely emotional, the point at which it comes in the film and the length of time they spend on it is significant because the way that people handle that matters to everything else in the story. Do you know what I mean? It, it really is a part of that narrative that it has mm. to be uh, a sort of in memoriam. Um, but this this thing, no, it's just a t- it feels like filler. Forget it. The absolute worst was Nashville. I don't think you've ever watched this, but Nashville, what a show. I should I should review that someday. The country uh, country and western drama show. Oh, the the best melodrama you'll ever see. Amazing. But there were there was like entire episodes devoted to characters who died, with people weeping and staring out of windows and. Wondering how they can go on. Oh, here's an idea. Write the script. That, that'll probably keep you going. <laughs> I think. I think. I. I think you are onto something because they're not fun. Who wants to spend time at a funeral? But it's someone not a, must a good, like happy them. Time. Otherwise, they wouldn't keep writing them and putting them in shows. I don't know. Is it the same thing that people like to get scared and make be made to cry during movies? And maybe no, it's no, no, not the same thing. No, not the same thing. I think it, it, if, well, if it is about making people cry, then it's the worst kind of emotional manipulation because all you're doing is reaching through the screen to say, imagine if your dad died and how you would feel. Like, that's not... You know what I'm saying? I know what you mean. I know what you mean. The worst one of that I've ever seen is... Um, is Grey's Anatomy, in fact. I, oh, really? I've spoken about Grey's Anatomy in the past. Um, they had a... Uh, they did a um, sort of... You know that when somebody on the production... There's an incident in memory of blah 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 blah, and they sort of put a thing. Well, I think they was someone actually a, in the making of the film. Yeah, yeah, they put on and they sort of dedicated to this person. The, the, in this show, one of the characters died, a big main character died, and they put up a, a black screen and put the character's name mm-hmm. and then put their, 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 their fictionalized birthday and death day. So Crazy. it's like a that's a gift that, that is like full circle ridiculousness. <laughs> That but I bet you there were people who loved that and were like, I can't believe they've gone. But they do say that. People get really attached to characters, don't they? And there are all kinds of things go on in that way. Some people get romantically attached to characters or, you know, there's kind of weird stuff that goes on occasionally. But I can imagine some people probably would, you know, thought that was respectful or something. Yeah, that character meant a lot to me. I needed that memorial plaque. There's probably a bench in that character's <laughs> name. Uh, but it does, it's, it's literally a memorial in the TV show, in the world of the TV show. So it's not like... It, no, it's not in the world of the TV show. It's in the TV. In the real world. Yeah. Presentation of their fake world. There's, yeah, I couldn't get my head around it. Like, why on earth would they think that was the right thing that to do? That program, I, it's a bizarre. mystery to me. It's like Pandora's box or something. I just don't, I don't get how anyone, <laughs> anyone can cope with it. I've just been listening to your Grey's Anatomy as a secret anime thing. Uh, yeah. All right. Anyway, look, you tell me, do I sound like I've got problems, that this is something I need to overcome and that really it is a cathartic moment when I can engage with a totally made up character about a totally other made up character's death? Oh, anyway. Rocket man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Rocket Man. Yeah, that's the uh, I'm a Rocket Man. We're talking about Rocket Man. And I think man. it's gonna be a long, long time till touchdown something. Yeah, I don't know the words. I think I, <laughs> I don't think anyone knows the words. Except that's how it is with that and John in general. I'm 
I'm still standing better than it ever did. What? Look at He sings very high as well. <laughs> well, we could do a whole uh, hour, I'm sure, of all of his greatest hits, singing some of the big lines. Some uh, of the words. There's a fantastic, yeah. There's a fantastic uh, video, incidentally, completely viral. It's a sort of YouTube video where somebody's trying to cue, work out when to sing Tiny Dancer. So hold me close. It takes like three minutes to get to that bit. Like the actual yeah. bit that everyone knows. Um, and so it's just the whole time them kind of gearing up ready to sing it and then not being able to sing well, they're, they're it. Well, anyway. what a powerhouse songwriter he is. Like he knows his business. <laughs> All right, carry on. He does know his business. Um, so I watch Rocket Man. This is Taron Egerton, uh, Edgerton, something yeah, like that. Yeah, one of them. Uh, and Exit. yeah, Kingsman, he was in Eddie the Eagle, as we said in the intro. He's an up and coming star. He decided to. How long has he been in... up and coming for, though? 10 years, 20 years? <laughs> Uh, he's kind of a he's kind of he's he's not up and coming anymore come on sorry well he's a he's a he's a star anyway he's leading movies so he must be a star anyway this is a a biopic of elton john and uh, his his life and how he came to write those songs incidentally a lot of the lyrics written not by elton john but by his long um standing songwriting partner bernie yeah features in the movie he's played by jamie bell who you might know as oh, billy little, little billy elliot yeah all he's right or jump it, no not jumper is he jumper no that's he was a sidekick that's right sorry yes, carry yes. on yeah, well, yeah. 10 points to you Lord, ten <laughs> i points. can't stop interrupting um, you i'm so sorry <laughs> it's fine i am very used to it yeah. so i watched this um with my wife and uh it, we had a lovely time watching it it was on amazon so we thought we'd check it out and i wondered if other people did as well we didn't watch it in cinemas it was one of those ones we should go see that and we never did um but we also watched bohemian rhapsody mm. and so we had this kind of double header of um well-regarded uh british singers uh, pop stars icons and uh these biopics of them it's just made me think that i i am really surprised that these films have been made and uh and and have had any critical success at all really because mm, they are ouch. just bizarre films because i don't think there's a story there in either of them okay but and if they kind of try to do that with bohemian rhapsody at least because it kind of is about that final performance right but it wasn't their final performance and no. it's completely misconstrued to make it into a, a movie moment when actually it wasn't a movie moment. They well, it's a big crescendo. deal in there. In there, you know, it was a huge sort of media moment, wasn't it? Like the, the what was that? That was the Live um, Aid. Yeah, Live Aid. It's a massive world famous concert. Totally, totally. And Freddie Mercury stole the show during that special event. And they rightfully, that is from a movie making point of view, if you're going to construct a movie, that is the sort of moment that you should build towards because it is the big crescendo. Yeah. But it doesn't fit with the the kind of narrative of the band and it doesn't really fit with um kind of telling anything they just finished with this big crescendo of queen music sung by not not freddie mercury um but performed by rami malik so i'm getting all blurry here because they are weirdly weirdly sort of overlapping in their issues and problems um and I think the, the the core crux of it is that you essentially you just want an excuse to perform the music um and and say well, isn't it cool that they wrote all these songs and maybe we could it's 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 that hybridization between um the actual events and the music versus the sort of musical version where you you make every moment you fit a musical around the songs you know we will rock you the the actual west end thing and all those sort of massively successful films that have been or films and musicals that have been made where they made a story to fit the different songs of these big bands there was the uh, across the universe was one of the ones done with the beatles um i i kind of 
it's it's just very awkward how they've tried to make the the actual lives of these di- these two real people fit into a, an excuse to to play these songs and perform them um rocket man i think does get the credit though because it really does lean into the idea that it's a musical because it takes the um the 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 actual story and then there are these sort of bollywood-esque breakout moments where elton john starts performing these songs and everything gets larger than life and uh i mean for saturday the song saturday, saturday yeah 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 he he literally suddenly is jumping out of a bar pub window and going off into a circus and dancing and doing a kind of groovy little performance of the song which i think worked so much better compared to the the bohemian rhapsody version where it's just sort of a weird copy of moments and performances. Well, yeah, I mean, I haven't seen um, uh, Rocket Man, so I, I need to take your steer on it. But th- that, those are the worst moments in Bohemian Rhapsody by far, other than, you know, many of the things that have been said about the cheesiness of it and the editing, especially um, of some dialogue scenes, which look like make it look like they're trying to make sure every star has their airtime, as agreed by the executive producers, the members of Queen. Um, but it's when they just start, guys, guys, listen to this. <laughs> see what I've got on here and then suddenly they're singing we will rock you and it's just uh, can I leave just for five minutes and come back <laughs> till this bit over remind, it, re- it reminded me of the bit in um, the solo movie of Star Wars the solo the solo story or whatever yeah. where it's like hey kid you got a name and he's like no just Han and he's like okay I'll put you down as Han Solo and oh, it's like a massive wink yeah. at the audience I can't, I can't handle it and yet Clearly, these films have been massively successful. Yeah, well, look, I, like, no, I've got my theory. Unbelievably on this. successful. Yeah. Okay, you hit me with your theory. Hit me with your theory. It's just interesting because then also, like, it hasn't always been this way because they have Eight Mile, for example, right? Which is, you know, quite critically acclaimed in some ways. The Eminem uh, biopic. Did he, did he write it? I can't remember. Uh, he starred in it, certainly. But then, uh, but then there was this big shift. I want to say, Phil, the shift happened with ABBA, um, with Mamma Mia. I think that showed you that you can take the camp sort of cheesiness and the lack of story into cinema and get away with it because Mamma Mia doesn't really make any sense <laughs> and people Do you just think want Mama to Mia see is them. a criminal action. Well, it just, it's, it's they quite entertaining. It. it is quite entertaining, but they just explode into song and they have that bit at the end where they are performing and like, Do you want another one? Amazing in the credits. Have you seen Mamma Mia? It's just extraordinary. I've not, I've not seen the first one. I've seen Mamma Mia. No, no, Here well, we go again, what are you which... doing? How have you not seen? The first one is the only one that you need to watch because it's weirdly seminal in, in cinema. It makes no sense, but it is entertaining. And then immediately after that, you've got all sorts. Uh, it's just opened the floodgates. So you don't have to make it serious anymore. You know, you used to have, um, what are the other sort of ones like this? There was something about The Doors, wasn't there, and Jim Morrison, and it was all serious. It hits the same beats that you're talking about, but the tone is not let's have a catalogue of music and a nice time in the cinema. The tone is, where's the drama? Where's the story in this story? And I feel like Mamma Mia uh, just allowed it to not be there anymore. And you can just do greatest hits. It was the thing that broke the glass ceiling of whether or not you need to have an actual story to tell. And I've got to say, did you know that Dexter Fletcher is the man behind all of these things? He's the man behind Eddie the Eagle. He basically directed Bohemian Rhapsody because, of course, it was Brian Singer, wasn't it? Um, Who left Uh, the production. Yes, yes, yes. And he also directed Rocket Man. So Dexter Fletcher is your guy. I've just seen, by the way, he's in line for Sherlock Holmes 3. What happened to um, Guy Ritchie? Ooh, uh-oh. Um, <laughs> a little aside there. Well, those two kind of, they're in the same sort of ballpark, aren't they? Dexter Fletcher, he was one of those lads. Was he in Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels? I can't remember. Um, but I, I, he's probably is the, the go-to guy now to produce this kind of feel-good uh, schmoozerama or whatever. But I'm with you, Phil. They're extremely average. They're kind of entertaining, but 
they it's almost like they set the bar so low it's kind of annoying because they there surely are stories to be told they're just refusing to tell them right yeah and and i think i mean credit to rocket man i think it's the better of the two really yet, that's not that's not a popular opinion i don't think i know but from an awards point of view bohemian rhapsody kind of sw- swung it all in its direction um but i i think it's it's a bit more honest and um it gives a harsher light to Elton John as an actual person, right? Um, which is even more impressive because Elton John is alive and was involved. Well, in production. but that but also he it, had a lot more time, didn't he, in the spotlight and a lot more time being a bit more controversial because, like, once he's past this sort of golden era, he's still incredibly visible and he's quite famously um, confrontational, isn't he? He's not, you know, afraid to uh, make a scene mm. and stuff. Whereas Freddie Mercury, I guess, didn't really have the opportunity for that, did he? That's a good point, and so maybe he's a bit more of a. Not a martyr, but you know what I mean—a sort of deified figure. Yeah, taken too young. You know, you know, a super talent that we didn't get to see enough of. Which isn't to say that he didn't do controversial things and wasn't—he wasn't afraid. He was—he's an amazing person to watch being interviewed for real. Have you seen him? Um, he just comes—he comes across as the smartest person in the room all the time. And I don't know. I think as amazing as the physical transformation was for Rami Malek, who did a very good job, must be said. I think they simplified his character and um, they made him more of a kind of. Uh, you know, the misfit, but a, a beautiful misfit, as opposed to someone who was at the top of their game in a multitude of ways, like super intelligent, uh, way ahead of all the reporters. It's just go and watch the real guy. He's interesting. That is interesting. I, I'm, you said that you thought Rami Malik did a good job. I think he did. Uh, well, in I'm, terms of what they asked him to do, it was quite an impressive no, he performance. he was just constantly battling teeth and trying to get his lips over them. He could, Honestly, I don't understand... His his any accolades come on his yeah, way, yeah, yeah, live aid a... the live aid moment, but That's even impressive. then I don't think it I don't think it's that hard I've I've seen the real thing oh, I watched the real thing long before the actual film and because I thought this is an amazing moment and I've every time I've seen it on clips I thought this is fantastic and Freddie Mercury doing his whole sort of vo- vocal riffs and the whole crowd responding yeah, to yeah. I think basically all you had to do was emulate that's what he does emulate i don't think he performs he mm. just sort of does an impression a sketch a caricature i'm sound like matthew mcconaughey there um but i i yeah i don't get it okay <laughs> well i basically the, the the two films i found very weird because they've been big films that were kind of successful in the cinema and people were talking about them and they kind of as you say directed or evolved the same person and kind of echo each other they've been successful in the box office i don't get it i feel like it's there's not really a story there and i feel a little bit like i'm taking crazy pills uh that that nobody seems to have acknowledged that um so if you are out there and you agree with me i'd like to hear it just so i'm not feeling so alone on this this rock in space um but if you disagree with with me then do let me know as well what am i missing about these films that makes them so i special? think you, you crystallize it very well there phil there isn't really a story there i bet you some people will agree with that even if they like the film um, so well said yeah get in touch flixandfilm at gmail.com at flixandfilm on twitter he's ready for your plus and minuses ones onesies onesies <laughs> I can't think about where the plural should be there uh, just get him sent in now Phil I, I kind of want to offer you a choice here there's a couple of things I could do I can give you two slash three maybe two and a half shows that I have decided not to continue watching and uh, you know so that doesn't really count as a review but I, I must mean something right that I gave it a chance and decided not to and here are my reasons why um, 
Is that, is that a good thing to talk about? Should I do that? Or should I say how amazing I think the Mass Effect trilogy of games can is? Can I do a third one and uh, say, can you give me recommendations for which kids shows I should be watching? Oh, right. You wanted to do that, didn't you? All right. Yeah, do I that. I've done way too much talking, though. So I'll let you choose, Laurie. <laughs> which one of those three things would bring you most joy? Uh, I'm sure that will translate into joy oh, I can do, I, let, let me Let me just, I'll tell you two things that I didn't continue watching with, but not because it's joyful, but because I can do it, I think, quite quickly. And then we'll see what we've got time for. Um, I, basically, I went on a Rich and Bannon bin you know Richard Madden off Bodyguard and Game of Thrones um I yes sud- he was in um he was in Rocketman was he indeed um something about I saw him in the screen cap for Medici Masters of Florence um a Netflix original series and he had just a big beard on and I was just curious because I think if you like me encountered Richard Madden first through Game of Thrones um, and then through Bodyguards, the BBC drama, then he comes across as one of these British actors who has got promise but might not go anywhere um, because, you know, the career steps haven't landed. Because in Game of Thrones, he plays a really sympathetic character, Rob Stark, but he's not in it for that long. And he's not sort of, he doesn't have to reveal too many depths to that character. He's quite a straightforward character, or at least the way the show portrays him. It is that way. And then in Bodyguard, it was kind of just, you know, you know, very classic BBC. It was sort of, you know, exactly as you were saying about Line of Duty the other day. Um, enjoyable show though it was. It was kind of, yeah, I did a supercut about him, uh, a police officer commanding him to get off the toilet, which I thought was very funny. In fact, one, I play that here. I'll do that now. I'll play that. I got this was on BBC Radio once, uh, listeners. So enjoy this. David, step out of the toilet. No. Come out of the toilet. Out of the toilet. To come out of the toilet. Out of the toilet. Out. Get out of the toilet. We'll leave that there. Um, but the the point was. I'm completely wrong. That impression of Richard Madden is utterly wrong because I think he may be one of the... Uh, he may shortly be one of Britain's most successful talents. I think he's been recognised the world over. Uh, and in fact, uh, if you go and look at his IMDb page um, to check he's out... He's going to be in his... Eternals, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's a massive Marvel uh, thing. It's one of their sort of large tentpoles, I believe, Eternals. He's going to be Icarus in that. Uh, he's in a huge... He's been in a podcast, a very award-winning sci-fi podcast called From Now, which has just been optioned by Amazon to be turned into a TV series. He was in 1917, as you pointed out of course he was in rocket man i wonder actually whether his career is on the up and up anyway so i decided to watch him in medici and (laughs) he's good in it but wow is this boring this is a show that netflix must have poured a lot of money into um it's about renaissance painting and stuff isn't it uh, no they're bankers medici is a family of bankers in florence and uh, it's that it's all about their kind of machinations, how they try and maintain control of the city, get famous connections with popes and the kind of underbelly, the political and slightly seedy underbelly of the Catholic Church at the time and the way that the city was kind of evolving, all that sort of stuff. But for a first episode of a big money series that I believe now is in three series along, I, can't, I cannot believe how dull it is. I challenge anyone to watch episode one of Medici and think that was gripping. I must start episode two. <laughs> it's not going to happen. It's boring. And I saw the Sean Bean turns up in it at some point as well. It's a really strange, quite like there's loads of big British stars, but it appears to be a mainly Italian production. Like it's an Italian director, uh, Italian uh, writers, loads of Italian cast members. And yet there's British stars right at the centre of it. A real mix of accents. Dustin Hoffman's in it uh, in episode one. He dies immediately on a grape. <laughs> uh, like it's Gosh, just... Okay. Even, I know that makes it sound interesting, but I couldn't believe how boring it was. So I have decided, unless I'm really bored and want to look at the stunning vistas of Florence and see Richard Madden do a fairly good job in an average show, I will be ditching that. 
So that's number one. And then the second one uh, that I decided to ditch is Future Man, starring Josh Hutcherson. Josh Hutcherson. Um, <laughs> and I had a very similar reason for clicking on this in the same way as I did with Little Dan Rad in Pretoria, Escape from Pretoria, because he was in The Hunger Games as Peter Malark. Uh, for you know, third wheel becoming the main man um, in quite an endearing role, I think. He looked very small, but they kept going on about how strong he was. <laughs> it's a bit Quasimodo-esque. He was a baker. I mean? It takes a lot of strength to knead <laughs> baking bread. The kneading, yeah. I, it's just an interesting guy. Um, but I, I think what... <laughs> so I wanted to see what he was like in a totally different series. And the, the, the thing here, it's kind of familiar premise with a slight spoof angle. So he's a gamer. He doesn't really have many prospects. He's a janitor at a hospital. And um, he's really obsessed with this game, which is impossible to beat. That's the idea. And he always wants to beat it. And his friends say, why do you keep playing that game? No one can win it. And he said, well, that's why I play it. Because uh, any other game, someone's already beaten it. Or anyone can beat it. But this one, only I, you know, no one's done it yet. So I want to do it. I want to, you know, achieve that frontier. And then lo and behold, episode one um, in a late night gaming session, he does beat it by trying something new. And suddenly the characters from the game turn up and try and recruit him to help them save the world in the future. Because, as it turns out, this game was something they sent back in time as a recruitment program. Yeah, I know Phil's making a face at me here. A recruitment program to find the original thinkers and the talented people who can save the world. Now, that actually sounds like the beginning of an 80s kind of show, doesn't it? Yeah, Tron, man. But the whole point is it's a spoof. So it immediately undercuts that. And the people say, so show us your moves. And then he gets beaten up by his own family as he goes back in the past in a kind of weird alternate universe version of the Back to the Future scene where Marty meets his grandparents. And they realize, what's going on here? And they're like, are video games not military training materials in your times? No. It's like the opposite. People who can't do anything play video games, which isn't true, but it's the joke. And so the joke is they brought this guy and he's completely useless and they're military people trying to prevent an apocalypse. Then there's a kind of Terminator thing thrown in there where they're trying to eliminate a scientist before he can cure everything, which somehow creates genetically perfect people who then persecute all the non-genetically perfect people in the future. Big combat. That sounds all quite interesting. Doesn't it just? So I quite like the premise. Um, I just, you know, you weren't so keen on Palm Springs. You were less keen on Palm Springs than I was. Um, particularly it was too the, nihilistic for me, yeah. Well, that's how I feel about this. And I think I it's just one of these shows where I was watching and I thought, I can appreciate the cleverness of what's going on, but it just feels a bit grimy. Like, it's quite rude. It's quite funny with its rudeness. There is a funny moment that I haven't seen before that's pretty X-rated, <laughs> but did make me laugh uh, when the people turn up. Uh, he's engaged in behaviour that, you know, no one would be happy to be uh, caught in the middle of. And uh, But it's done, it's, it is quite funny, but the overwhelming feeling is sadness, depression, misery. It doesn't make me feel positive about the world. And everything kind of gets stripped away. These the, the, the soldiers who come through in a post-apocalyptic world have basically ditched all of the concepts that we hold dear and take joy in because their world's so miserable. Um, and maybe through the series, you can see how Josh Hutcherson's plucky but useless character will teach them these things again. And maybe that, But the only shining light was that Josh Hutcherson, he's a good actor. He can handle it. And I'd like to see him do more, basically. Um, I have a feeling that if I could stick it out, um, I think it's three seasons long as well, this one, then it probably improves quite a lot. But season one was um, was turning me off. So there you go. Too bleak, too... too just, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, just a bit too miserable, really, and a bit too snarky, but not in a funny, snarky way, just in a kind of sad, snarky way. 
Um, there if we go. you have then been somebody who watched this show and yeah. watched it up to three seasons, then you might need to sell this to us both and That's to right. our listenership. Uh, so get in touch if you are not somebody who switched off these shows. These are shows that Laurie switched off and thought, nah, I'm not getting this. Medici and Future Man. Yeah, is that Medici right? is just so boring. <laughs> I really want you to watch it. It's so okay. boring. I wish it wasn't so boring, but it is. Uh, and then Future Man, yeah, um, which was the kind of opposite. Interesting, but just a bit. Yeah, not my cup of tea. There you go. So maybe we'll have another little, maybe it'll be a recurring thing. Nice, happy. We tried it and we gave up. Yeah, well, you need to do your kids' show thing, Phil, but I don't feel that there's enough time in this episode. We've, uh, it's no, I think, out I think not. I suddenly realised, just to cap off this whole thing, the whole reason I wanted to talk about Rocketman and uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, and why I mentioned Gwyneth as a, a bonus the, yes, a you few did. weeks ago, was because I was because of those shows, the biopic, I was sort of inevitably waiting for the, the biopic of Coldplay, and um and the moment where Chris Martin sort of has oh meets a young Gwyneth Paltrow, Paltrow yeah yeah exactly and all that sort of thing and then there could be that moment where they're like um he's like oh I feel really hungry Gwyneth I don't know oh I'm really hungry and then they're like she turns to him and says apple and he goes apple oh, that could be a good name for a kid and that uh. that, that would be one of the scenes. Yeah, they have to be scenes. cleverer than that or maybe they wouldn't well done no they wouldn't and then it'd be like oh that's the bit that... and then you turn to your person next to you and say that's the bit that's how they decided to name their kid Apple oh man dreadful you can I... see it can't you yeah yeah I generally avoid these kind of films for all these reasons okay let's move on to the end <laughs> Yeah, there we go. Well, hey, thank you for joining us again. That was episode 12 of Flicks and Film. Laurie and Phil, Laurie and Phil, Flicks and Film. Uh, get your thoughts in, recommendations, just about anything. I'm encouraged to see, Phil, that we basically every week have more content than we can squeeze in because we're not going to run out of stuff to talk about anyway. I know. I remember the first few episodes, it's like, have you watched anything? I was like, I've not really watched anything. <laughs> but somehow it's just meant that we've I've watched more and thought more about what I'm watching um, and consuming. So that's part of the fun of it. It's a it good all. spur to do it, isn't it? And, and I hope you're finding that, that actually as you listen to, to our thoughts and have your own and all that that um, actually it's helping you discover new stuff so uh, please do get in touch with your uh, thoughts on our thoughts and your own thoughts all that stuff flicksandfilm at gmail.com at flicksandfilm on twitter and we'll be back next week i mean now ronin's in the back catalogue kids shows in the back catalogue you've still got to do the departed man got to do the departed. you Final said Affairs. you were going to give me the dvd and you were even here the other day and you didn't bring it with you so come on <laughs> step okay, up i apologize it's my fault yeah it's yeah my exa- fault. exactly oh. right um we should do some youtube as well because i've been watching a lot of youtube recently in the background i've got really into those um insider and wired series uh where you have like a jewel thief rating movie scenes for how accurate they are and stuff oh yeah the the my favorite one of those is the uh the guy doing movie accents yeah he's and, good uh, he's the advisor they he is back good like also well, I mean, we can talk about this other time because <laughs> it's sometimes when he says it i'm just like that makes no sense what you just said you yeah. could just you just say oh they need to say short oh yeah 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 all right let's do that let's that's do let's the, do some <laughs> Let's bring in some YouTube stuff because I've got loads of things I can talk about. Um, do you have any bonuses or not? Uh, not this week. It's All right. over to you. I've got a quick one for you. Uh, what are your thoughts on Kirk Burns? I think I may have uh, come up with that phrase, but I'm talking about sideburns. They go like this. <laughs> oh, the super thin, uh, like a half thin moon. Ones that go... like... <laughs> That curve off into point following the line of the cheekbone. Any thoughts on Kirk Burns? I I feel in general we've sort of skipped out on. um, I'm waiting for the time where mutton chops come back or like the really. Do you think they will? They must do. Everything comes back, you know. I'm not sure that's entirely true. Phil, there are many things in history I will be glad if they never return. I'm sure. (laughs) sure Do you not think at some point or another it's going to be like, oh, maybe we should go for the big burns again? I'm going to have to have roughs as well. I don't know, Phil. 
I I wonder whether they represented something in society at the time. Sideburns, the big lamb chops. Maybe it was expensive so what did it to represent get the face. Kirkburns. Kirk what does Kirkburns represent? That's set in well, the future. Well, that was a utopian. different question. Yeah, it was just I've only ever seen William Shatner wear them, and I wondered <laughs> with the tiny little curl. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think they are sort of weirdly appealing. Like, sometimes I think about it when I'm shaving. Like, shall I do the Kirkburn? Shall <laughs> I put a, a little burn, little thirty degree angle just there? Well, I do sometimes do a sort of minor Kirkburn. But then I, I always think, think to myself, no, it's too precise. It's like drawing on your eyebrows, but drawing on your sideburns instead. I bet you that's a thing as well. Like people <laughs> use your is it mascara, the, the eyebrow one, or is it something else? Uh, whatever you it is. You can do loads. You can get your eyebrows tattooed on. Yeah, that's well, it. again, sideburns. I'm just wondering. Kirk Tattoo burns. burn. Are they a thing? Kirk Go and burn. ask your hairdresser for, to do a Kirk burn and see <laughs> see what they do. I wonder whether it's I've a never thing. thought about it, but now that you said it, I have had that same thought, Kirk if you know burns. what I mean. Do you do Kirk it or burn. do you go for the straight line? The straight line's too severe is the thing. It makes you look like you, you're absolutely working IT, which is no bad thing. It's just quite a defined look. But the Kirk burn is, is another look. I don't even know. When you think about it too much, it's like when you think about walking up the stairs, you feel like there's no right answer. Have you spent time adjusting where you put your side? I've got a full beard now, but yeah. but I used to have absolutely. Side burns, I have. So How quite... far up the ear do you go? Did you did you ever misjudge it though and go Always. too high up? And have just... you you shaved it? Yeah, shaved it all the way up, and then you look like you're wearing your hair <laughs> rather than that you actually have it. Yeah, helmet hair. Yeah, it's a whole other thing. There you go. Oh, the joy of being hairy men. Yeah. Well, what can you do? Hey, have a lovely week, listeners. Let us know your hair thoughts. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.